Yeah, I mean, just to start with, before giving the example, I think that 90% of the information on impact that we have today, or is she, is useless or is misused. And, and that's a big statement. But what I'm talking about, uh, a lot of this information is just, you know, at the measured at output level or is just giving a sense of the activity, but that doesn't really speak about the impact, the change in the life of people or the change for the ecosystem and the nature. Innovations in Sustainable Finance, a University of St. Gallen podcast by Julian Kölbel. Hello and welcome to another episode of Innovations in Sustainable Finance. This is Julian Kölbel. I'm Assistant Professor of Sustainable Finance at the University of St. Gallen. And today I'm talking to Sam Vionnet. Sam, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Hello. Yep. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure too. Sam is the founder and director of Valuing Impact, a consultancy, and he's been doing a lot of work thinking and working about impact in a professional manner. And the reason he's on the show today is that he wrote a book titled Impact Thinking. And I already like the title, but I even like the subtitle more, which is Learn Critical Thinking Skills to Make Better Decisions That Create Social Value. So as a fan of critical thinking, and impact that was clear to me. It's a book I have to read. And I have read it and I found it really insightful. So I thought it would be great to have some come on the podcast and chat about this book. So it's fantastic that you're here, Sam. I'd like to ask you who should read this book and why? It's <laughs> a good question, yeah. And the answer is like anybody who has uh, some interest to some extent on impacts or sustainability who has, who is working on, on the topic, uh, in his organization or company. I mean, that's, that's really a, a book that is meant to be read by the largest amount of people. It's not a, a book that is, you know, a book for everyone in the world. You still need to have some interest and some background to be able to make the most out of the book. But I, I try to write it in a way that reached a, a wide audience, uh, from expert people to novice on the topic of sustainability. Even expert will find some interesting insight, I guess, including you, hopefully in the book. <laughs> so yeah, it's really a book for as a, a wide audience. Yes. Thank you. I, I can uh, agree that this is not only to an expert audience. It's actually quite a light read, I would say. There's lots of nice examples. And, and for the experts, I think there's a benefit from the experience you've gathered. You've just done a lot of this and it seems to me it's a bit of a reflection on your work over the past 15 years. But let, let yeah, me ask exactly. this, why, why, why did you write this book? Is that right? Yeah, there, there was a personal goal. So indeed, there was a, a question. I spent 15 years doing consulting with at least 50 different multinational companies, different investment funds, family office, uh, different NGOs all over the place in all kinds of sectors. So after 15 years, now I'm, I'm thinking, okay, how can I make a step in my career and, and try to summarize everything I, I lived and experienced in the past 15 years in a way that can be more accessible to, to the wider number of people. So that's a, the beyond the personal goal of writing books. There was this goal of bringing the, the insight of the work we're doing, which is very specialized and, you know, that, that reach those big multinational companies that have the money to pay consultants. But like, how do we reach for $15 a book plus $15? How do we bring that to small and medium companies, to small NGOs, 
that that wants to get started on the topic or that want to improve on the on the way they think about impact and deliver impact to the world. So there was this this question of sharing the knowledge community over the years, and that was really the one of the driving factor behind the book. And also maybe I can add it's it's really about critical thinking. So it's not about you know you will not have definitive answers on a lot of different topics about you know if uh, I don't know packaging plastic packaging is better than paper packaging <laughs> or you know, plastic cups or ceramic cups or drinking or coffee is better. Like, it's not about a book that gives definite answer. It's a book that gives you the tool to think critically, to be, you need to be open to the, to be challenged if you want to read the book. And that will, that will teach you, this book will teach you the, really the, the, the critical thinking, the principle behind impact thinking. Yeah, but I like how you started off kind of on that topic that nearly everyone is familiar with, which is the coffee. So, you know, I, I drink coffee every day. Many people do. And, and, and you have this, this story about how people think about which is the better coffee to drink, uh, which is more sustainably, the capsules, or should I have a paper cup or a plastic cup? And then uh, sort of you, you come out with that. Actually, the thing that really matters is how much coffee you drink and, and uh, sort of how much energy you perhaps use in brewing the coffee. So these seem to be the more dominant drivers of the overall impact. So I, I really liked it as an example to get into the, into the book. Yeah, it's a never-ending question that comes up every single year across the past 15 years when I was drinking coffee, the coffee break at Quantis when I was working for another consultancy. At every coffee break almost, there was a question regarding like, oh, you're taking a paper cup, so you should be <laughs> feeling bad because it's creating some waste. And uh, the other guy was like, hey, I've got a ceramic cup. I was saying, no, but a ceramic cup, you need to wash it, use energy, use soap, you know, and it's not that uh, low in terms of uh, impact. So what is best? And uh, of course, the answer is uh, it depends. First, you need to think about what drives the impact of coffee along the, the value chain. So it's mostly the production of coffee and, you know, the land use, the fertilizers, the pesticide. And second, surprisingly, it's the energy to heat the water. And that was a really interesting insight. It's not the packaging of the coffee, like thinking about the capsule of uh, Nespresso and like, is not really uh, this capsule is only 10, 15% of the impact. 80% of the impact is driven by the coffee and by the energy to heat the water. And so you, you can take whatever packaging or cups you want to use. What will make a difference in the way you, is, is how much you drink of coffee, where the, where the sourcing of the coffee is coming from. And if you purchase renewable energy, for example, for eating the coffee and how efficient you are. For example, if you use a mock-up pot with a big uh, plate, and I'm getting into too much detail here, but <laughs> tell me <laughs> But I think this detail. is very interesting. <laughs> when you go into the, the coffee mock-up pot, you use a big uh, plate to heat the, the mock-up pot. And of course, there is a lot of energy that is uh, wasted. When you think about capsule, they use just the right amount of energy to heat the water that goes into the coffee cup. And similarly, a, a, a drip filter will heat a lot of water in a bigger part that most of, uh, not most, but a part of it will be wasted. So the efficiency of machines is actually, with capsule, is, is actually higher and have a lower impact due to the fact that they save more energy than a mocha pot on your stove. But that, that's, uh, it depends, of course, if you are in a place that have renewable energy or low carbon in, uh, electricity versus a place that have high intensity energy. Like it, it really depends where you are. And so yeah. the, the answer is never simple, but at least you have a, with a book, like it goes through the principle to think, okay, how do you think about the value chain, where the impact occurs, what kind of impact occurs, 
other other material or not, etc. So it goes through the step to think through the, the impact and you don't get stuck only on what you see because consumers and all the people I know, they're just focused on what they see, which is a waste, the packaging, sometimes the, the product a little bit, but I don't think about the value chain, what takes uh, all the steps that are taken to get to the product and, um, and the other steps that are downstream of them. And so that, that's uh, something that, may, that needs to be made visible. And the, the principle in this book provide the basis to, to think about that. Yes. Something I find very interesting or that I really like about the book that it, it challenges a bit this trend in sustainability towards numbers. So there is a lot of emphasis on quantifying sustainability issues, certifications on, and compliance now with, with new laws. And your book, sort of points out that having a number is not the end goal, but, you know, it's more, first of all, you have to think what it is that you actually want to measure. You know, beyond the coffee cups, can you maybe give an example where where a number turned out to be misleading after some reflection? Yeah, I mean, just to start with, before giving the example, I think that 90% of the information on impact that we have today, or is she, is useless or is misused. And, and that's a big statement, but <laughs> you know what, what I'm talking about, a lot of this information is, is just, you know, at the measured at output level or it's just giving a sense of the activity, but that doesn't really speak about the impact, the change in the life of people or the change for the, for the ecosystem and the nature. Like very, very little, very few companies are actually measuring the impact in the proper way. So, so yes, you need to make sure that the data you, you use is going to be accompanied by a decision-making system or critical thinking system that will allow you to make the most out of this number, to understand this number and contextualize it. And one of the examples in the book that have like more than 20, 25 examples from the real world, from different companies and NGOs and investors, one of the examples is packaging company that launches a renewable packaging solution in renewable or natural base, you know, all those trends in the consumer uh, a segment are quite strong. People like to talk about organic, about natural, about <laughs> renewable. So obviously companies are, are following suit and they propose renewable packaging. And this company proposing this 100% renewable packaging asks us to do a study on their packaging solution before launching it and doing all the marketing investment to sell it. They had done a carbon accounting of the solution and they already found like, okay, they have 20, 25% reduction of impact on carbon. But that's the thing. Uh, one of the principles of the book is to say, uh, it's not only about looking from one indicator, you need to understand the full impact to society that you're creating. So when you talk about nature-based or renewable or biomass solution, you're going to use land to produce uh, material that you're going to use in your packaging. It's not only you're going to avoid the fossil fuel for sure, but you're going to switch to biomass. So where does biomass come from? That's the mm -hmm. question. And what, what is the impact it creates? And when you use land, so, for so example, just sugarcane. So just to uh, get a picture in my head, should I think of a cardboard packaging or something like that? Uh, yes, I cannot say exactly what it is because What's I don't know. Like, is, it, is, it, is it a huge box or is it something small? Like just sort of, no, should I think of a little box, like boxes, or, something yeah, like that? Boxes, okay. boxes okay. for food, food product and beverage. One of the most common that you can find on the market. Right. Unfortunately, okay. you cannot say the name. But yeah, it's a small thing and it's 100% renewable. It's great. Reduce the carbon. But where did biomass come from? And it mm -hmm. comes from, at that time, it came from sugarcane from Brazil. 
And the sugarcane okay. from Brazil had quite intensive practice, had issue with soil health, uh, used a lot of fertilizers that goes into the water and do eutrophication. So kind of impacts the ecosystem. They had uh, also land use change issues. They use a lot of pesticides that have effect on human health and, you know, ecotoxicity for your biodiversity. So if you encompass all those effects that are not captured in the carbon indicator, they are other indicators of impact. Once you account for all these impacts and you put a value on those, you get a higher impact to society than the fossil fuel or fossil-based packaging. And that was really a surprising result. So the company decided to just put this report in the, in, in the drawer, obviously. They spent millions developing the solution and launching it. So they decided not to take action. That was really disappointing. But uh, that, that's really the, 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 the learning and super interesting learning that we got from this uh, study. And it, it happens more often than we think, especially in the NGO sector. For example, NGO sector, you never heard about negative, I mean, failure, project failure. Most of the NGOs are just talking about you know, the, the, the good things they're doing, we just assume because they are NGOs, they're doing good. But actually, there is a lot of project failure as much as in the business. You always hear about bankruptcy and <laughs> failure of startups that don't take off and don't scale, etc. You never heard about that in the NGO. But the NGOs are failing as much as the businesses. It's just that they don't measure the impact in a way that allow them to understand where there are inefficiencies, where they fail, etc. And so that was a, another case study we, we brought a company, like not a company, an NGO active in uh, coastal restoration and conservation in Asia, had a business model that was, I mean, they had a business model in the sense they were financing their activities through volunteers that were flying over long distances to do volunteering work locally, protect the ocean, do monitoring, etc. And we find out that actually the balance of environmental impact was quite negative for them due to the fact that they were relying on people flying over the country of the world to get to this place. And it was more negative impact than positive impact for the coastal areas. And when we looked at the impact, we found out the surprising results too. They had a very good connection with communities. And most of the impact, 80% of the positive impact was coming from community engagement, not from marine conservation. So it was not an environmental NGOs, it was a social impact NGOs. And thanks to this like thinking process that we went through with them, they, they were able to pivot their, their model towards delivering much higher impact to society by focusing on where they had value, where they could scale positive impact rather than trying to make a model work that wasn't actually working on environmental conservation. They still do environmental conservation, that's still the, the end goal, but they do it through community engagement and they're much, much more successful like this. I want to later ask something about the incentives of, of a consultant here, but but I'll park that for a second. And and Money? Um, uh, <laughs> well, well, I mean, <laughs> no, no, no we'll, we'll get to that. I wanted to hold you on that issue of pivoting. So I think when you tell someone, and that might be a, a company or an NGO, but also an individual, that you know that thing that you currently are doing that you think is impactful is actually not that impactful, right? You're sort of pushing the wrong button. There are two things that could happen. Either people will just stop, say, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to do it anymore. So they will do nothing instead. Or, and that would be the better outcome, they will sort of, you know, take that analysis in a constructive way and say, okay, let me see if I can optimize, you know, pivot in a sense, do something else, do something better. What's your strategy sort of not to frustrate people or, but rather than sort of, you know, inform them and in, in sort of, you know, in a constructive way? I mean, most of the people we work with as consultants, they are, they are people that are convinced first. They are people we build relationship with. 
they're not trying. I mean, we, we don't work when, for example, a client comes and say, hey, I just want to do this marketing claim. Just help, uh, help me claim whatever things and do greenwashing. That's not an approach we would engage a client with. So most of the work we do are with people who, are, who believe in what we do. We believe in creating more impact to the world. So there's never a barrier for them to say, hey, we see this project is very inefficient or it's not delivering the impact it should be delivering. Actually, they look for this insight. They better to give them the insight. Uh, we often see the corporate as, you know, the greedy uh, big organization that just want to make money at the cost, at the expense of the society. But companies are a quite complex organism that, that have a lot of people that are just convinced about, okay, we need, we need to do good for the society. We need to bring positive impact. And when working with those guys, uh, I mean, it's, it's easy to account for criticism and improve or pivot. Pivot is quite hard for companies, to be honest. I mean, it's easier, for example, for NGOs, I found, or startup. But big companies are quite have a quite of inertia in the, in the way they do business. So that's where I found the hardest to pivot. So usually the strategy is not to abandon a project, neither to pivot, uh, sometimes to pivot, but most of the time it's just to say, okay, we know we're not at the level of efficiency we should be. What can be done to increase the efficiency? And so we're going to look for optimization factors. We're going to look at ways to adjust the business model to have more impact. So it's, n- it's never really to drop a project or to pivot so much. Uh, pivot works best for NGOs and in, in the impact startup, for example. I see. Well, let's, let's get to the book itself a little bit. How, how does your book help me think about impact? What is, what is sort of the recipe in general? Well, the, um, the way I summarize it is through three sections of the book. One is assess. So how do you, what are the dimensions of impact you need to think about when you, you look at impact information? Second is management. So what are the tools that I use typically or the, the one that are the most common to use for managing impact, taking decision uh, and manage impact? And the third section is about strategy. What are the strategies that work best in my experience to deliver the, the, the highest impact, the most successful project I've, I've worked on across the world. Obviously, it's not exhaustive. It's just a selection. There are five or six subchapters per main section of the book on those three sections, assess, manage, strategy. And there, there, there could be a second volume of the book, <laughs> for sure, uh, covering mm-hmm. more of those strategies and management tools, etc. But I decided to really keep it manageable. And you can read the book in like three, four hours, I guess. So that's why I kept it to the, to the essential, to the material part. And there is a last section of the book, which is about now what? So how do we bring that to life? So I, I cover like how to bring change at the organization and personal level, how to spot impact washing or clean washing, because it's with an increase of interest in sustainability and impact across the world, you will have a lot more communication from a lot of organizations that are not necessarily serious about how they measure impact or how they communicate impact and deliver impact. So it's good to have the skills to understand mm-hmm. what is impact washing versus what is real impact that is delivered by an organization. And all of those chapters are accompanied by real-world case studies. So as I mentioned, I think previously, there was at least 20, 25 case studies from big multinational companies, NGOs, family office, investors. So it goes really across the board in all geographies, really if all the countries are, are kind of represented in those case studies. And lastly, the books brings at the end of each section a checklist that can be copied and used, you know, in other contexts, in workshop, in meetings with uh, 
with different stakeholders. So I try to bring that into a one-page checklist each for each section. Um, yeah. And that makes hopefully the book a bit more applicable and operational. How do you spot impact washing? I think that will be of great importance to lots of listeners. Yeah, I think it's a good it's a good question. There are there are surprisingly very little standard about impact washing so far. There are a few emerging regulations. So yeah, how do you spot impact washing? The the way we think about it is first to identify the risk of the impact washing happening, and then the risk of it is linked to the context. So you have, for example, low maturity sectors or low maturity uh, geographies and conflict of interest as well. For example, in low-income countries, typically consumers are less educated on impact or care less about impact than in high-income countries like in Europe. So that makes it a factor of risk. You will see much more greenwashing, impactwashing happening in Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, I mean, in Africa and so on than in, in Europe. Then it's about conflict of interest. Companies that have the highest impact to the world in terms of, you know, exploitation of workers, human rights issues, or environmental impact, like mining, oil and gas, and so on. That's the guys that will have potentially the risk of doing impact washing because they want to appear greener or nicer than they are. So first, just being aware of the context is the first way to avoid, not avoid, but spot impact washing. Mm-hmm. Second and third point are the format and the content. There is also the, the correlation between the two. Format, if there is some, you know, evocative design, some complex wording or some like pseudo expert that comes in into the communication in the picture or video, that's the sign that they may be overstating uh, something. Or they will, they, if there is, for example, a fake logo of a leaf that shows the green landscape in the, in the countryside, and you have a car coming in for an advertisement for a car, that's typically when you think, that, okay, there might be a greenwashing here. And the content, if there is, there need to be some, some fair representation of the impact. So you need to, to see that there is negative and positive impact communicated, that there is a, a demonstration of additivity of the impact, that there is really a change from whatever you would need to consume or to do, do as activity. And the misalignment between the format and the content is a typical sign of greenwashing. If the, the format shows very nice things, like nice landscape, but there is little proof or any numbers communicated in the content, you know that there is something fishy here. And the last thing is the documentation. You need to have some backup. So if you're not able to find out the reason why they claim that, that there is, a, I don't know, environmental advantage of electric cars over, over um, uh, combustion engine cars, then, I mean, you know that there is potentially an greenwashing. You need to have the backup. So a life cycle assessment, an impact assessment, a third party giving additional information about how, why they do the claim and justify the claim. I mean, documentation is critical here. And for example, one of the most criticized company <laughs> in the coffee sector to come back to the coffee is Nespresso. Nespresso has been um, attacked many, many times on their, you know, the way, the amount of waste they create, the machine, the electricity, etc. So. One of the, the ways they, they support the claim is through doing a life cycle assessment with a consultant and certifying the, the life cycle assessment with a third party expert that certifies that the numbers and the calculation are good. And these reports are available on the web- website of Nespresso. So that allows them to claim actually that the impact is lower or comparable to other solutions of coffee uh, drinking. Um, and that's what they, they do. They don't claim, I think, that they are like a lot more, a lot better than other coffee making system, but they have like all the, the 
documentation, the backup to demonstrate that they're not worse. And so that's a good strategy. So as soon as you have that source four points, identify the context, make sure the format and the content are aligned and mm -hmm. are not misleading and having the proper documentation. That's what will allow you to understand if there is a greenwashing case or not. Right. That's that's very helpful. Thank you. Maybe to zoom back out at a general level, I think critical thinking is probably the most important skill for any sort of decision making, right? And including decisions that are intended to create economic value or shareholder value. But do you think that maybe critical thinking is particularly important when it comes to creating social value? That's a, that's a good question, but I think you answer it. I mean, we're here to discuss about critical thinking and impact thinking. So obviously, for me and for you, I guess, it's, uh, it's quite important. Let, let me start with this. Think about where we were 15 years ago. I don't know how old are you, but I was just starting on the... <laughs> more, more than 15. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, but I mean, uh, I don't know if you were already working in sustainability or if you are still uh, at university, but 15 years ago, there were not so much... Uh, sustainability was still at the margin. It was emerging as a critical thing. We were talking about climate change, but still there was a very little maturity in the corporate strategies around sustainability and around impact. The impact investment was... I don't think it was uh, existing, even though it was practiced. Maybe it was not named like that. You had NGOs, but it was mostly like a philanthropic vision of it. It was not the integration into the economy. And now, 15 years down the line, like every single company has a positioning on sustainability, more or less. I mean, exaggerating a little bit, but impact investing is big. It's billions of uh, investment. NGOs now have a, a scale much higher. Like uh, you, everything took a lot of space in all the discussion in the media, in the corporate strategy, in everything we do. And there is a lot more people that join the rank of companies to be sustainability expert, managers, directors, CSOs, or chief sustainability officers. And where all those people came from, they didn't come from like the university uh, career to become chief sustainability officer. They came from operation, marketing, public affairs, procurement. You know, they, they came from other, other fields. They don't have the background to think about impacts. And that's a gap that this book tried to address. And that's, that's also why I think it's critical thinking is really critical or important for those people is that we are just catching up so quickly and extending the number of people who have to work and decide on topic of sustainability and impact, and we don't have the training to do so. So there is a gap in the courses of uh, universities, of school, and it's being uh, filled up, and I guess you're part of it. There is a, a gap in professional training around impact and sustainability that is starting to be filled, but there are so many new people working on impact and sustainability every day that we need to catch up on that. And the book is, is about that. It's about bringing the principle to think about impact, to fill the gap of skills. Because every time I talk to new people in companies, I, I, I have to start from zero again. And I think it's uh, also a lot of time. So why not reading a book instead and, you know, catching up on education? So there, there is yeah. a huge skill gap. I agree with that. And I think it's a, it's a great book to read for, for students and for people who sort of move into that space to address that that skill gap but I, but i think there's even an another element and and that is as i said earlier there's there's a trend towards standardization and certification and i think one of the tricky features of sustainability and and impact is that the right the ultimate outcomes aren't always that obvious 
right? If you, if you, you know, if you buy coffee that doesn't taste good, right, you immediately know, okay, I'm never going to buy that coffee again. If you buy a coffee and there is, you know, some impact washing around the packaging material, how will you find out, right? You, you have to apply that, that, that skeptical lens and sort of dig in a little bit into the details, take a step back. What does that really mean? And that, I think, applies to an even greater extent at the strategic level for an organization, right? Thinking about what is the strategy is absolutely essential for the commercial success of a business, right? You have to think and rethink a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you just go out of business. With the impact, you know, people might be tempted to say, well, let's just follow this standard and then, you know, then we'll be fine. But, but that is, I think, a great risk because then people will miss a lot of great opportunities they might have. And, you know, just not out of a bad intention, but, but simply because they, they just don't, yeah, well, they don't think critically about what is the impact they really could have in that context. And I think that's a huge lost opportunity. It's human nature. I mean, we just make it easy for ourselves to select, like if someone's telling you it's the best choice from an impact perspective because it's certified uh, Rainforest Alliance or Fairtrade, et cetera. Of course, you're going you're gonna to believe it. But looking at the state of the world and the gap we have in, you know, bridging the gap of inequalities of land use change, deforestation, contamination of the sea, et cetera, all the, the air pollution, all the issues we have, we have to face. I mean, definitely the current certification labels and assurance are not enough. We need to go beyond mm-hmm. that. We need to have a critical thinking about what's next, what needs to be done in addition to the current system. It, any kind of certification we already have on product is not nearly enough to really change the system and change the, the, the value change to deliver more sustainable product and services to, the, to our society. We, we have to, to do some catch up. So critical thinking will be key to uh, make sure this is happening, this challenge people, this challenge the companies as well. What we want is also a civil society that can challenge what companies are telling them so that we don't just believe <laughs> that uh, what, is, what is told is actually the truth. It's rarely the case. So we need that, that kind of skills in the population as well to make accountable the governments, the authorities, uh, the companies, NGOs, and so on. Yeah. Well, at least some sort of a layer of people in, in, in that area who, who are capable of doing that. And there's a, a real risk that sort of once you start codifying and standardizing things that people stop thinking. I mean, this kind of happens immediately, right? As soon as something is standardized, you say, well, I follow the process. These are the, the KPIs I need to look at. And then that is an invitation to just do that and stop to think. So I think that is, that is a, what I really like about this book, that it, you, don't, you don't at all say that numbers or KPIs aren't important. Okay. I think the way I read it, it's just, well, you know, think. Is, is that what is important? And then if it is, then let's try to measure it, but also compare it with what others are doing and what perhaps is in the value chain and what are unintended consequences. So I think this, this approach, I, I really enjoy about your book. Yeah. I mean, standardization has a role to play, but there need to be a balance of power in a, in a sense. So we cannot just rely on what standardization bodies are telling you. They're going to make sure that the standard is, I mean, simple enough and, and that can be scaled across all the industries. So standards are usually aiming for the minimum requirement just because they need to be applicable to the wide, uh, wider number of people, organization. 
And so as a counterbalance of the power here of standardization that, I mean, we shouldn't trust it 100%, or there is always a better way of doing it, we need to have a critical thinking skills in the population, in, in at jobs, at companies, to make sure that we look at this information in a critical way and think about, okay, what's next? What can we do better? How we can, uh, what are the gaps in the standard uh, standardization process that we use, et cetera? You have one example in the book about an impact investor, and I think you've worked with many. In the book, what was the issue there and how did your approach of thinking critically about impact influence decision-making? So generally, the, the field of impact investors, as surprising as it might seem, is not measuring so much impact. They talk about impact, they label them as impact. And now, are they delivering impact? We don't really know. For most of them, the vast majority of them, and I, uh, may, you may have a different opinion, <laughs> that's my opinion and that's my experience with impact investors, is that they take impact, impact, world impact as a exclusion criteria, for example. We don't want to be in this field or we just want to focus on renewable energy. And by just investing in renewable energy, we're going to be an impact investor without further you know, activity, just like mapping or categorizing the investment, not measuring the impact. And there are renewable energy solutions that are actually quite negative for the world. She's thinking about hydroelectricity, et cetera. So that it's not all green and, and good. It's not because you label yourself as impact that you have a positive impact. So that was the case for this impact investor. They had a first fund uh, established with a, with a good portfolio of startup that they invested in. It was a VC investor. And within the portfolio, there were a variety of companies. Some of them, based on the measurement of impact we did, had a negative impact. And of course, when you're an impact investor and you did all the due diligence and you know you take care of having an impact and you believe you have an impact, a positive impact, finding that you have a negative impact in one of the companies uh, is a bit of a surprise and a bit of pain. <laughs> and so it was, it was a challenge for this uh, organization, but that made them realize that they need to rethink the process of selection of due diligence and deal, looking for deals and deal pipeline. They need to rethink the way they measure or at least assess impact before they invest. And they need to rethink the way they manage the investees to make sure they maximize the impact. And beyond just the fact that we found a negative impact, the other aspect was that we found a huge variability of performance of those investments. Most of them had positive impact, which was reassuring, of course, apart from a couple. But some of them had very little positive impact. Some, of, some others had very high positive impact compared to the investment, uh, relative to the investment that was done. So the question was like, why is so, like, so much difference between high and low performance investment? How can we bridge the gap and make sure we have only high, high efficiency investment? That was one of the insights we found because there is a scale of impact delivery that you can have in investment. People will just categorize them in the past between, okay, we have an impact investment versus not an impact investment. But within the, we have an impact investment, there is a scale of performance. And so there is this question of what are the principles we need to apply to bridge the gap towards higher efficiency of impact delivery for the alpha investment. And I think that that's the principle we've been able to implement. Just to be clear, you are talking here about a huge variability in impact performance of these yeah. portfolio companies. Right? Yeah, but um, in financial performance, obviously it's a VC fund, so half of those startups will fail. Uh, obviously, unfortunately. Right, yes. But uh, it's both financial and impact performance. Yeah. I have to get back to the to the consultant's incentive now because in, in the book you have a couple of examples where 
you know, you you come back to a client and apparently tell them, well, the impacts that you think you're having are actually much lower than you thought, or they're perhaps even negative. If I can ask you, how do you sell such an insight? And I can imagine that could be difficult because there's a risk that another consultant might be happy to give them the answer that they, you know, that would make them look much better. How can you navigate that? I don't see necessarily the, the problem as you see it. I mean, I, for sure, I'm an activist consultant, so I like to challenge and make sure we, we have an additive impact after all. And we might think that the companies have the incentive not to change and to hide a negative impact or not to, to really invest uh, or do some expenses to improve the impact at the expense of financial performance. But most of the people we work with uh, within those companies have like the, the need and, and the will to have a better, I mean, to have a higher impact for the, for the society. So I think they're, they're looking forward, not looking forward in the sense, but uh, they, they're happy to see that they see the reality in a better, more comprehensive way. So having the skills of impact thinking will open their eyes there by knowing where they have the risk or the impact, they can manage it much better than if it just pop up in two years with an NGO like Oxfam attacking them or Greenpeace pointing the problem that will cost them much more money. So it's better for them to know the critics upfront from a consultant, from a private discussion than having it published in the news by, by some media, like it happened for Salzburg around the carbon credit this year with, um, the, with the Red Plus. It was a disaster. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you need to, to, to face the reality upfront from internally. And that's my role as well as a consultant. So usually it's welcome. Of course, there, there are some examples where it was not welcome with this packaging company that just I never worked again with this packaging company, by the way. They were not the um, yeah, okay. one. But this is an exception. Most of the clients will, will stick with me. Sometimes it takes years before they change their opinion. For example, this company in um, Natura in, in Brazil, it took two years before they really accepted that they had in their business model a significant potential negative impact on around the business model. First, they wanted really to fire me. They wanted to say, okay, let's review the data. You didn't use the right data. Your method is crap. Let's revise the method. We're going to ask a third party to review what you did because you don't know what you're doing, blah, 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 up to we're going to hire PwC to do the work. <laughs> and I was like, mm-hmm. guys, no, I just like think. And we, we, we did a lot of meetings with a lot of different stakeholders. And deep down, they knew they had an issue in the, in their, in the business model. I mean, impact is never like, okay, you might be biased as a person. You might have a perception that you have more positive impact than, than not, than negative. But in deep down, you know about the, the negative impact. So it's just about putting a number of it and being able to manage it. And so in that case, it took two years, but they finally accepted it and they were able to integrate that into their sustainability strategy and commitments. And now they're really addressing it upfront and publicly. It's a, it's a public information that they have this issue and have to address it. So for me, as a consultant, it's really about staying true to the impact thinking principle that I described in the book. This has more value than trying to, you know, go around negative impact, hiding stuff or doing greenwashing. Greenwashing is a huge risk and huge liability for companies. So you never want to do that. So yeah, I don't, I don't see necessarily an issue in, in being a consultant and bringing you bad news. Interesting. Yeah. Thank, thank you for revealing that. It, it, I, I see how the private, the privacy of the discussion is, is can be essential, right? You, you indeed, I see how you want to learn where the risks may lie uh, and and that's very valuable to find out and <laughs> and of course and i'm i'm just assuming that but i assume you can build a reputation as a consultant by being 
you know, a, a teller of truth, no, 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 right? No matter who is asking you. And then over time, of course, people come to respect that opinion because usually, you know, you interact several times. So in that sense, also, I find the book really, you know, it's, it's really encouraging. So, you know, just use your brain and, mm -hmm. you know, look, look at the various aspects, do a sound analysis, be open to challenges. And then, you know, that, that is your, your view. And that is good work at the end of the day. Yeah, for me, it's not about agreeing on everything. It's about, you know, trust relationship. It's about this critical thinking is about being able to open the dialogue. And it doesn't mean mm -hmm. you need to change right away. It means like you can have different opinions. You need to explore the different side of the same story, have a critical thinking. So you have a constructive discussion to build the future together, to find the best decision together. And right now there's too much beliefs that are not grounded in facts and data and, you know, those principles of impact thinking. There is too much of those beliefs that drives decision of business, of investors that saying, okay, that's, that's the next big thing that's going to create a lot of impact. But actually they didn't look at the data. So, or they didn't mm. think about the principle, critical thinking, impact thinking. So that's, that's what this, uh, this book is about, is to bring not necessarily an alignment and then tell the truth. It's about bringing the skills to be able to debate about what impact we want to have in the world and how to take the best decision to get there. Maybe to also come to a point around the sort of the potential of positive impact of, and let's focus that on, on corporations in the first place. So, so what sort of potential do you see there by investors and companies to have a positive impact? Because some skeptics might say, you know, this is a bit of a fool's errand because corporations, they simply do whatever is profitable. Uh, and the only way to enhance their impact is just to change the economic incentives. I also believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, but it's, I mean, there, there is the, the two sides. We cannot just rely on corporate to do the right thing for the society and save the world. I mean, if the world needs to be saved, but there is a significant window of opportunity to align financial interest with societal impact, as a societal interest. And right now it's underused, it's under-recognized. So <clears throat> a lot of companies could do much better while staying with the same profitability or even increasing the profitability by delivering more impact to the world. And those solutions have, for me, it's really my focus on my work is how do we bridge a gap between financial and societal performance? That doesn't, that doesn't solve all the problem. I think that more than half of the problem we have are not solved by the business by optimizing the, 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 the true side of the story, as I said, that they're going to be changed mm -hmm. by changing the incentives, the tax system, subsidies, also consumer awareness, education systems to have the next generation that will ask for more sustainability in the companies. Etc. So you have all the solutions that count for <clears throat> more than half of the problem solving that we have to do, but at least one fourth to one third of the problem we have could be solved by having more uh, mindful strategies by companies that bridge a gap between social impact and financial performance. And I think that's a, that's an underused opportunity. And that's a, that means that for many investors and companies, that's an opportunity to make more money while having more impact as well. And that's something that is usually a taboo because people in the old school thinking, they think about, okay, we have the CSR strategy, you know, uh, corporate social responsibility with a philanthropic, we need to give money away on one side to do good and we do business on the other side. No, we need to bridge two. The business is a way to create impact and we can create impact while making money. It's not a taboo, it's, it's an integration of the economic system in our society that we need to solve our problems as well. That's not going to solve all the problems, but it's going to be a, already a, a pretty long way in solving some of them. 
Fantastic. One one third of the problem we can solve this way. I, I like uh, I like it. And and the problems are big. So one one third of that is a lot. And I suppose the the key is not to well to do one thing and not forget about the other, you know, such as the the more systemic approaches and and the political process. Exact. Yeah. I sense in your book both optimism and skepticism. So optimism, you know, as you just said, there is there is some potential impact that can be unlocked, but also skepticism about how well-intended strategies need to be thought through more rigorously. So yeah. is is it fair to describe you as an optimistic skeptic or or a skeptical optimist? Yeah, I never thought about it that way, but I think it's uh, relatively fair. I I had to be optimist <laughs> in the book. <laughs> Um, also because it's who I am and of course I believe, uh, have hope for the future, but I, at the same time, witness a lot of bullshit. I don't know if you can say that in the podcast, but, uh, I see you a can. lot of, <laughs> I see a lot of, uh, things that are just like blah, blah and no facts, no impact delivered. And so it's very frustrating when you work with the private sector. I mean, I am impatient, so I just see this changing after 15 years working with big companies that are staying my client for 15 years, I'm just bored by the speed of change sometimes. So I'm just like, okay, I'm quite skeptic about those big companies and the way the capacity to change. I ha- I would, if I had to bet, I would I would bet on the VC investors and P investors to, to make a change, actually. I think there is a much more opportunity to replace part of the business of the, the big companies with a startup growing than to try to change the big multinational companies. So in that sense, I'm, I'm quite optimistic. I'm very excited to work with impact investors, usually, especially VC investors, because I see the potential they have to change the way we do business, the way we do uh, we, we work as a society. So yes, in that sense, I'm, I'm optimistic, but I'm also skeptic because I see that, yeah, there is too much inertia in the system. And the 15 years I was expecting to be in another place. I mean, we've progressed a lot in the 15 years, but I think I would expect to be much, uh, much more advanced at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think it's a good combination because uh yeah, if if we lose hope then everything is lost. So so I think there needs to be some of that and but skepticism is then essential to you know, to go about these optimistic or lofty goals in a, in a uh, yeah, in a systematic and and uh, evidence-based way. So yeah, and skeptic being skeptic is part I, of I the think being... I I think I would be in the same camp a little bit. Uh, yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> I think so. To 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 finish the the conversation, I would like to ask: What do you hope will change in the space of impact and sustainability? So, once a great number of people have read your book, well, there is an assumption here that is a lot of people will have read the book, which is well, that's the, exactly. That's, I, I give to you that assumption. That, uh, <laughs> but let's let's assume that. What 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 will the world look like? I think. I mean, hopefully, if a lot of people read the book. We will have a reduction of case of greenwashing. We'll have companies more being more accountable. We'll have professional at companies and NGOs and other organizations making better decision and investing for impact, seeing the opportunity to make impact while making money in parallel. So I think that that's what I would expect to see really and have directly more constructive discussion about more advanced solution, really going jump starting the discussion from okay, what is impact, what is sustainability, how it is measured, blah, blah, blah. From that to, okay, how do we invest between those two investments or how do we make those two investments much more efficient 
and what can what what is the investment strategy around that? That's what the discussion should. Uh, I mean, what's the end goal of the book is? Fantastic, Sam. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for coming on the podcast, and thank you even more for for putting down your your good thoughts in this book. I hope some of the guests on this podcast will order it and have a look at it. Then, uh, then at least a few people will have read it. Um, and and with that, uh, yeah, I, I I thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure. Yeah, very good discussion. Thanks for the question and uh, managing this podcast. Very useful. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. Have a good day. Bye. Innovations in Sustainable Finance, a University of St. Gallen podcast by Julian Kölbel.